Looking forward to the summer break. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Welcome one and all to episode 388 of Hand of Pod. Um, there will be no summer break this year, at least as far as I'm aware, because Argentine football is carrying on right the way into the hottest time of the year uh, for a change. I've been suffering a little bit this afternoon. So if I don't sound 100% up to scratch, it's because I'm not 100% up to scratch. It's just too hot at the moment. Um, I'm joined this week by Andres. Hello, welcome. By Santi. Hey guys. By English Dam. Hello. Who we can finally hear. And by Tony. Hello, everybody. Um, hopefully, everybody will have their, their mics off and stuff when they're not speaking because uh, we're going to have a few. We had a few audio issues last week, and that would be nice to avoid this week. I do apologize for the ones last week, um, but hopefully, they won't be repeated to the same degree this time. Um, we need to begin, unfortunately with another sort of uh, obituary. I've not written anything specifically for this one because it's not quite as earth-shattering for most listeners. Um, But Alejandro Sabella has died after a fairly lengthy um, illness. Uh, The manager who took Argentina all the way to the final of the 2014 World Cup. Um, And that's been uh, something that has, uh, that's affected everybody tremendously. I think one of the lines that that I mentioned and, and that Dan used on Twitter when Maradona went was that everybody felt like they'd lost a family member, even if it was a family member who you didn't particularly get on with. Um, but in Sabella's case, everybody really does feel like they've lost the lovely, cuddly granddad who they all loved tremendously because there wasn't really anything to dislike about him, uh, either as a person or as a footballing figure, I suppose, unless you're a massive gymnasia fan or something, given that he's Mr. Estudiantes. Um, but we're going to give a little bit of a sort of retrospective and look back on Estudiantes River and of course Sheffield United favourite Alex Sabela. Would anybody like to start? Yeah, okay. I think. Um, um, okay then. Oh, sorry, Tony. <laughs> no, no, go on, go on. Um, I think you got it spot on, Sam. Um, he's a guy who's been around Argentine football. He had been around for, for a long, long time as a player. He was very highly rated as a young River player and later with Estudiantes. Uh, let's not forget, as an assistant coach as well, he was um, uh, Daniel Passarella's assistant for, for, I think, almost 20 years. He went all over the world. Of course, he was um, Argentina assistant in, in the 1998 World Cup. He was the Uruguay assistant. Um, they had some time in Brazil together, I think. Uh, in Mexico together, of course, with um, with River in Pasarela's two spells in, I think both came in the 1990s or possibly one in, in the 2000s. Um, and we, of course, know him best for what he did 
in the most recent years as a coach in his first year at Estudiantes. He took them to, to the Copa Libertadores trophy um, when no one expected it. I think uh, their first win in almost 40 years in that competition. Uh, he came within 30 seconds of beating Guardiola's Barcelona in 2009, who were the, you know, hands down the best team in the world. Possibly even gave Mourinho a couple of pointers in how to do it. I don't know, he's never acknowledged it, but it was a very kind of Estudiantes game, which interplayed afterwards to, to beat him the following year in the Champions League. Um, and of course, the 2014 World Cup final, who, which I think all of us here uh, remember very, very fondly because it was just such a brilliant moment to be connected, however strongly or loosely with the Argentina national team. It was an intriguing journey all through Brazil and like the team just clicked. They seemed to be getting on well together. They played some decent football, some not so decent football. Um, I was remembering just in the last few days when I had to write a type of obituary about Savele's, um his five-man defence with which he started the, the World Cup against Bosnia, which has luckily kind of been forgotten mostly. Um, it was a very curious decision, but but from there, it was just a fantastic campaign for Argentina. The entire country got behind the team, you know, the hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands um, who went to Brazil, you know, crossing the border to, uh, to either see the games or just be close to what was happening and the millions that watched it from uh, via TV back in Argentina. It was just a, a brilliant moment to be in the country, I think, and uh, and for me, a lot of that comes down to Savela, this kind of very softly spoken, unassuming, humble guy who he seemed to transmit that, that atmosphere to his, to his players as well for the dressing room. It was a team without huge egos who just seemed to get along, who could joke together. And, um, and through that, it just kept him going. Um, I think we all remember in the middle of the World Cup, Ezequiel Lavesi squirting water on him in one of the, kind of the iconic moments in, in that tournament. Um, it kind of just sums up, you know, how approachable, how easy guy and how generous this guy is. That, you know, he wasn't going to hold a grudge for a little bit of um, little bit of horseplay. It all, you know, was laughed off and forgot and forgotten about when with other Argentina coaches. It might have been. Um, a little bit more serious, let's say, and and yeah, to come so close to winning Argentina's first World Cup since 1990, that gutting Mario Goetze goal in in extra time, and and yeah, the whole team was was welcomed back as heroes here in Buenos Aires. I remember it was just a fantastic time uh, to be around Argentina, to be to be experiencing that World Cup campaign, and and for that. You can only thank Savela. Yeah, um, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that uh, obituary. Let's let's call it that. Um, yeah, um, we of course uh, Argentines, I think, and people of course my age um, and a bit older. Let's let's be fair. They will remember, of course. They will uh, have the the Savela. The, the Vazzavella memory they will keep the most is, of course, his um, incredibly successful uh, stint at, at Estudiantes where he 
he almost won basically everything there was to win. Um, after winning the Libertadores, there were a couple uh, questions over his ability to actually go all the way and win the national championship, and he did. And, um, well, that famous game against, against Barcelona and the, his achievements with the national team, making uh, one of the few managers, I think, who, um, who Messi truly trusted and felt... Uh, comfortable under. Uh, it gave us uh, Messi's best ever version, I think, uh, in an Argentina shirt uh, back in 2012-2013 when he was um, he was in this uh, in this quadruple attack with uh, Iwain, Aguero and Di Maria in the forms of their lives. Uh, it's something I think uh, that team was really forced to be reckoned with and uh, it will live in the memory of, uh, of Argentines uh, and one thing maybe I will um, I will always um, I won't say thank but I will always respect uh, Saavedra for is the fact that um, I I haven't forgotten that uh, in the build-up to that World Cup in Brazil Saavedra was still under heavy scrutiny because of uh, the um, a couple of players I think he heavily favored and trusted in um, who were just um, who have had a, a bit of shaky performances I think for the national team uh, uh, Marco Rojo and uh, Fede Fernandez come to mind and um, then came the World Cup and they were truly vindicated he was truly vindicated by uh, his faith, his unwavering faith in them and uh, he and Romero not only became a hero um, of, uh, of the national team with his uh, penalty saves against uh, the Netherlands and his great performances overall, I think, uh, in, the, in the knockout rounds especially. And uh, well, Fuera Rojo, who, had, who has become ever since, well, he became ever since a mainstay of the Argentine defense, maybe a couple of years, uh, could have, a couple of years um, in retirement could have been a bit better for him, but um, well, during during the, his time with Saavedra and a couple of years later under Martino, he was solid, and it was uh, and props to to Savela for trusting him all the all the way through, despite uh, heavy, um, heavy well people like uh, Willy Caballero and Nico Tamendi heavily favored back then, and uh, Savela getting a lot of stick for sticking by Romero and Rojo. But uh, I think you could um, you could say this for almost. Every every step into um, Savela's career, one thing that, um, of course, uh, some people have um, mentioned about uh, his trajectory in football is the fact that he was, of course, uh, alongside uh, Ricky Villa and Ovaldo Ardiles, one of the first Argentines to ever um, try their hand in and into English football. He, he well, um, I think he did not arrive. Uh, he did not arrive in England with the same cachet, with the same reputation as two world champions like Villa and Ardiles. He was more of a of an unproven quantity because he was mostly a substitute at River Plate. Well, it's hard, it's hard to compete with uh, Beto Alonso, but um, he was second choice to none other than Diego Maradona for Sheffield United and. Uh, he became uh, he became a, a cult figure at the club, not just at Sheffield but also at Leeds, and uh, he was a true trailblazer. 
Trailblazer, I think, for for almost every single other Argentine who, who has succeeded in English football and how easily Argentines in general uh, have uh, connected with the fans and become uh, cult figures just like uh, Sabela. And um, I think players like um, well, who have uh, excelled in English football like uh, Tevez and Machirano and Agüero, uh, Sabaleta and so many others have to thank uh, Alejandro Sabela um, in a big way, I think, for for that first break. So, um, and it's always, and it's also been incredible to see how everyone had, that has ever played with him has uh, just shown this uh, unconditional love and uh, thank, being thankful, so thankful for everything they have ever learned. Um, this seems to be a guy who has never had a spat with anyone in any dressing room ever and has been such a paternal, I think, figure to so many people, so many players who are pretty, pretty young or got them pretty early in their careers, Enzo Perez, Marco Rojo, Fede Fernandez, and so many more. Well, even Machirano, who has been managed by the likes of Pep Guardiola, um, Rafa Benitez, and he's still named uh, Sabela as one of the most influential managers he ever played under. So. It's a big loss for Argentine football, someone who has been so unanimously loved and respected and cherished uh, and someone who has delivered so many joys and has uh, put the Argentine name so highly, even in defeat, which is uh, um, uh, such a fit, a fit for someone so important in a club, so focused on winning as estudiantes. Uh, but I think it speaks a lot about how um, principled the man was and... He will be sorely missed, I guess. He his loss is too soon. Yeah, I just wanted to add, um, since we were talking about uh, Sabela, Ardiles, uh, Visha, of course, um, moving to England after after that World Cup, there was there's one other player that who always seems to get left out of the list, um, Alberto Tarantini, the left back in 1978 who moved to Birmingham City after the World Cup um, and played 20 odd games. Uh, got sent off a handful of times because, uh, and just picked up this reputation for being a bit of a nutter, and then ultimately left um, after going into the crowd to punch a booing fan in his in his last match, and he swiftly came back to Argentina. Uh, yeah, that's all, all I wanted to add. Yeah, I, I could see why people forget that Tarantini ever played in England. I'd remember that to be honest. Quite a spectacular way to. Uh, to make a name for yourself in a new country. Andres? Yes, I, I just wanted to add to that, to all, all, all of the guys have, have already said, uh, I, I, I couldn't watch him play. Of course, I, 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 I remember quite well the, the, the great World Cup they, they made, Argentina made with him in the bench, the 2014, of course, the Brazil World Cup in which Argentina were for uh, uh, runner-up, and uh, but about his way of being and, and his honesty, uh, because of course you you remember people for what they were apart from 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 uh, the, the uh, from what they were as coaches or, or players. Of course, the, the people the, or the, the human being is what what is most remembered. And I I, I just uh, watched the other day a speech one of the 
of the uh, uh, several speeches he, he gave uh, in which he, uh, well, you don't hear every time or, or quite often a coach who has just become champions and uh, saying thank you to the rivals because he, I think it was in the Torneo Apertura 2010 in which Estudiantes won uh, that tournament with 45 points and Vélez were the second, in second position, the runner-ups with 43. Uh, and, and he said, well, I want to thank, apart from my players, the players who were Estudiantes with him, I want to thank, say thank you to Vélez because not also they wanted, they, they made us be better as a team and, and, and they demanded us uh, to be better and, and, and get that 45 points, but they deserved that title too. So that's some, something you don't hear every time. In fact, you hear complaints, you hear uh, complaints for the uh, referee and, and, and the rivals and things like this is something quite refreshing, quite, quite fresh and quite, uh, I think, uh, something remarkable. Uh, uh, there, are, there were a lot of other things he said, which are uh, talk for himself. I mean, uh, uh, that's why I think we will miss him and, and uh, all of the things that I said are, are true. And this is also something I wanted to add because it's something you, you really uh, 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 don't uh, hear every time or, or quite often. Yeah, thanks, Andres. Um... I think you're right. It tells us a lot about him. And I remember, I don't think that anybody on this call, um, this recording has, has spoken to him, but I seem to remember that Joel Richards, our good friend, went down to La Plata to talk to him while he was Argentina boss and came back. And I, I went out for a drink or something with Joel a couple of evenings later and asked him, you know, what, what's he like? And Joel was just, Joel himself is, is a lovely, lovely person. And, and he was just blown away by what a nice guy Savela was, basically, in comparison with pretty much everybody else involved in Argentine football. It was just like, he's, he's, he's lovely. Um, but anyway, rest in peace, Alejandro Sabela. Um, and we will, I imagine, possibly talk a little bit more in, in the extra, although we do have another topic. But for now, um, we will move on and I will read out some results, what's been happening in Argentine football since we last recorded. Um, let me just get those results up because, of course, what has happened is the final round of matches in the Copa Diego Armando Maradona group stage, or rather the first group stage, because we now go into a second group stage. It's tremendously confusing. Um, anyway, the results were Central Cordoba nil, Colón 2, Banfield 1, Rosario Central 1, Union 3, Atletico Tucumán 5, um, when I come to the end of this list and ask you which results stand out for you, that's the one to say, gents. Uh, Arsenal 1, Racing 0. Gimnasia 0, Huracan 0. And Patronato 0, Vélez 0. It was a less than thrilling denouement to Group 6. River 3, Godoy Cruz 1. Independiente 1, Defensa y Justicia 0. Newells 3, Lanús 1. Tacheres 0, Boca 0. Argentinos 1, Estudiantes 0, and San Lorenzo 0, Aldo Sibi 0. I'll run through the standings before we get on to the actual matches so that we know what's happened. Um, because the final standings, therefore, are Atletico Tucumán are the only team to win all six matches in the opening group, and they've won Group 1. Um, Arsenal have pipped Union. Um, 
on goal difference, Arsenal finished with a, a goal difference of zero and Union's goal difference was minus two. Both of them finished on seven points. Racing, of course, bottom of group one. Um, Dan's just goading Tony in our text chat, so I'm just going to point that out now before we start talking to them. I was um, sympathising. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> of course you were. It's always a consolidation. Don't worry. We're, you'll be very happy in the consolidation. Group two. Group two uh, is won by Colón with 13 points. Independiente had 12 and therefore go through in second. Central Córdoba and Defensa y Justicia finished third and fourth. Group three was won by River with 15 points. Banfield go through in, in second place with 11. Rosario Central have seven. Godoy Cruz, possibly the worst team of the um, whole stage so far, although they did have a pretty tricky group with, with both River and Banfield and also Central, um, end up with just one point. In group four, Boca were the winners with 10 points. Tacheres finished second with nine. Newells and Lanús both on seven and separated only by um, only by goals. Well, yeah, goal difference. Uh, Newells' goal difference was one better than Lanús's. In group five, San Lorenzo 12, Argentinos 10, Aldo Civi and Estudiantes are out. They have eight points and two, respectively. And in group six, Huracán had 11 points, Gimnasia nine, Vélez nine, but slightly worse goal difference, so finished third. And Patronato have two. As Dan has just hinted, um, there are now not just... So the top two in each group have gone through, but the teams who've gone out have also gone through just to a different stage. Um, so what happens now is that there are... Is it just going to be one big group with everybody in it, in each case? I think it is, isn't it? Um, no, it's, it's, it's two groups. It's two groups per... Um, it's in both, in both occasions, I think it's two groups. Yeah. I see. Four groups right. of so, six. So there between two, the two, two two phases. Um, each will consist, as Dan says, of two groups of six. So we have the complementación, the fase complementación, the, the complementary stage, oh, yeah. which, the, which the is the team participation award. Yeah, the participation award. And then the uh, fase campeón, which is exactly what it means, the, the championship um, group. So the two winners of the two groups in the championship group will play off to decide who wins the Copa. And if you're wondering what the hell the point in the, in the Fase Complementación is, uh, the winners of those two groups will play off to decide who then get to play. I think it's the losers of the championship final for a place in next year's Sudamericana because you can't possibly have anybody not playing for anything at all, can you? Um, so anyway... First of all, before we get on to what's happening next, gents, um, what did you make of, uh, of the weekend's action and why is the very first game we're going to be talking about, that eight-goal thriller in Santa Fe, Tony? <clears throat> what do you want me to add to what I already <laughs> said before <laughs> on the previous games? Um, I, I need Asconsalvo to leave now. Because mostly I don't see. I mean, it, it doesn't feel like a a, a coach that can this is preemptive and try to play in a way to exploit the other team's uh, weaknesses. But also, it's not really reactive, or it's just reactive in a way that okay, I'm gonna just take our defender and I'm going to put an attacker and that's it. That's, that played out magically. 
Um, and that's how that we ended up losing 5 3 in the end because every time that we got one one goal close to Toyota Chukuman, Toyota attacked the next moment and scored. And we never got to, to draw the game. Uh, there was hope, pushing hope in the end. <laughs> that was uh, killed by Toyota Chukuman, just the next, the next uh, move. Um, I mean, it was entertaining, surely, for the neutral viewers. It was entertaining, no, for me too, to be honest. But Union is losing. It's, it's not uh, having a true vision of where the team should be heading. And it's clear because once Madelon left, there was a couple of uh, names going around well, who, who can replace him, but in the end we got Asconsabal, who was doing okay-ish in Chile. And... No, that was my girlfriend, sorry. Tony's uh, listening to a novella in the background as I'm it's, um, it's, Is it good? Yeah, that's, that's, that's the part of, 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 you know, sharing a, a space. Uh, but we, we, got to, we, got to, we got to listen to your, to your kids here sometimes, so... It's, it's fair. Um, <laughs> and yeah, uh, sadly, that's, that's what happened with, with William in, in that game. Uh, and it, 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 it felt flat and not a few, it felt not, not really good with the, the, the defeat in the Copa Sudamericana either. It was a double blow that I think it, it doesn't deserve. His team doesn't deserve it, but the coach does. Thanks, Tony. Yeah. Um, as Dan pointed out on the text chat, right after I said that Godoy Cruz were probably the worst team in, in the first round, um, it, it could be argued that Racing were worse, even though they finished with three times as many points as Godoy Cruz. They got three points to Godoy Cruz's one. Um, it just never got going, Dan, did it? And, and can you, why is it that they've managed to put the holders out of the Copa Libertadores? Um, and yet be just so completely and totally disinterested and, and rubbish in, in the copper, the domestic copper? I think you've answered your own question there, really. Um, disinterested. Um, uh, Racing never really cared about this competition. In the first couple of games, I think the first three games, they at least gave it a go, kind of rotated their, their team a little bit because... You know, at the end of the day, it was good for a few guys to get a bit of uh, game time under their belts after only, what was it, four Libertadores games um, since March. Um, and they played terribly in those three games, um, missed a load of chances. The defense was absolutely terrible. And by then, by the fourth game, they just decided, fuck it, we're going to put all the kids in. They started playing all of these youngsters who I've never even heard of before. Um, I must admit, I didn't even see the game on Saturday, was it? Because I was, I was away for the weekend. Um, I can see that, oh, yeah, it was a bit more of a, a mixed team. A guy called Juan Cáceres in defence. Fernando Prado, no idea who he is. Uh, Patricio Tanda, I'm really not sure that's even a real person. Um, and yeah, I'd say... They were probably lucky in the grand scheme of things to even get one victory out of six. Um, you really couldn't have 
complained if it ended up with six out of six. But as you say, who cares? We're in the complimentation phase and also in, in that Libertadores thing. So is that something? Santi, um, Independiente got that win over Defensa y Justicia, but more importantly, of course, both teams really are kind of one eye on the Sudamericana and Independiente um, are kicking off in the Sudamericana very shortly in 20 minutes' time against Lanús. Um, what, did you, what, what have you made of, of them? In, you, know, you, were, you mentioned last week that you were a bit happier generally with how they were playing, but did you see much at the weekend? Because from what I saw of that game it wasn't particularly pretty from either side. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's been pretty, pretty clear from both sides where the priorities were. Um, Independiente actually played a, a very... Um, well, played a lot of substitutes for, for this game. Um, a lot of youngsters uh, who hadn't had uh, a lot of chances before because Independiente have finally um, decided on what's their starting 11, who are, in fact, as complete as it might be, because sadly, uh, Alan Franco and Silvio Romero have picked up injuries. Um, they will be playing uh, in a few minutes against uh, Lanús, which is a pretty tough fixture, especially considering the fact that Pepo de la Vega and Pepe Sand are back in the team for Lanús. But in the case of this game, I think, um, yeah, in the beat, it's called very early uh, in the third minute, thanks to uh, another youth product, Alan Soñora, who I really uh, think he's, uh, there's a bright future ahead of him. And he's been um, pretty bright, I think, pretty good in, during his cameos in the Independiente setup. But uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't uh, the most memorable game you, you will ever see. And it's, I think it's. Uh, Positive for Independiente that they can also grind out these uh, ugly victories, uh, uh, these ugly wins uh, against a bit the run of play. Although Defensa wasn't exactly the the most attack, attacking team on the pitch, um, but yeah, at the very least, um, I think in the in the recent past, Independiente would have managed to find a way to lose this game and. Uh, I think those th- that's where the positive side Independiente have become a more solid, uh, a more solid team, a more secure, confident team uh, in their own abilities. Um, that Franco Barbosa um, defensive pairing had blossomed before Barco well, um, injured himself and uh, has become unavailable for both of Independiente's legs against Lanús. But uh, but yeah, I think uh, well we finally found uh, a midfield. A midfield that uh, actually works for us uh, with uh, well another youth product, uh, Luca Gonzalez, alongside Luca Romero, who has really um, made some impressive strides uh, ever since the tournament began when he was basically dreadful. And Paulo Hernandez, who is just, um, yeah, uh, he's been hot and cold, and so has uh, Roa, who is, well, who has um, a pretty messy uh, economic situation uh, for Independiente in, in the fact that they have already paid all, almost uh, a million and a half for him and uh, if they want to keep him they have to pay $400,000 more but they don't have the money so we might pay almost uh, a million and a half for him and lose him anyway so yeah that's pretty messy but uh, Independiente are 
pretty optimistic, I think. Uh, they have uh, found the feet um, as this cup has progressed. And uh, I think even if Independiente's priorities lie straight in the Copa Sudamericana, they would really fancy going far in this tournament as well because, uh, yeah, it's always been hard for Independiente to find a berth, a berth in the Copa Libertadores. Uh, so, yeah, they will just um, take every chance they have for that. Thanks, Sam. So, yeah, uh, some of our listeners might be wondering, I imagine a lot of those who were wondering actually aren't wondering but already know, but in case you are wondering, Alan Sonora is Joel Sonora's brother and uh, these are the two brothers who were born to... Um, to Diego Sonora while he was playing in MLS and who have both expressed an interest in playing for the United States, although they have both Argentine and United Statesian nationality. Um, I'm just purely going on the number of times that we've been asked about them both. I think I get the impression that Joel is probably the higher thought of um, one of them in the United States. Uh, this weekend, there wasn't very much to say about him. He was a fairly late substitute in a fairly dull nil-nil draw between Tacheres and Boca Juniors. He's playing for Tacheres at the moment. Um, but yeah, just Santi mentioning uh, that uh, Alan had scored early on reminded me of that fact. Um, others, gents, any other matches that you wanted to, that you've watched and wanted to talk about? Andres, do you want to tell us about River Godoy Cruci a bit happier with how River are doing lately? Well, uh, I think you, you could easily predict that that uh, resulted 3-1 victory for River. Perhaps not the one for Godoy Cruz, but the three goals that River scored, uh, you could easily easily predict. Uh, what you could, couldn't have predicted because it was quite impressive. Um, and and uh, in fact, it, it was uh, like a a joke for me because I have been mocking Bruno Zuccolini quite a lot and and, and the other day uh, not only he played uh, uh, in the starting lineup he also scored uh, uh, which was really really impressive uh, taking into account the position in which he played of course he played in the middle but every time River went into attack he was well in the box as a as a natural striker and that's the way he scored the first even. Not the, the third one. He scored the first goal of the match uh, uh, after a cross from from Angeleri. That at this point, I think he's playing better than than, than Milton Casco. In fact, he can play today uh, in, in in a couple of hours when River uh, faces Nacional for the for the Copa Libertadores. Um, but that was, I think, the most remarkable thing about that match when everything have been playing recently. I mean, River got back to the winning, to the victories, but not showing something really, really uh, different. I mean, of course, we are the River supporters, me included, are are badly used uh, in a way to, to what River have been showing uh, uh, in, the, in the last years. And for this uh, tournament, the Copa Diego Maradona, uh, uh, after a very awful or a quite awful uh, beginning, uh, the, the, that defeat against Banfield, which now appears as, as something which is far away, uh, started winning but not not being convincing or not uh, showing uh, what, uh, as I said, what had had shown uh, in, in other matches or, or some time ago. But in this case, I think it was something really 
really, uh, of, of course, I, I am, I am a, a surprised in a good way because uh, uh, when you think that everything is invented, you, you see Zuccolini playing like that, and of course, it's a, a good alternative for River. In fact, when, when Enzo Perez uh, is ill, is well uh, infected with the coronavirus, and he won't be able to play. And also today, perhaps Zuccolini is again in a certain lineup. So I think that is something to, to also to, to mention because it doesn't it, it hasn't been happening, and now it was like that. So uh, good for him. Thanks, Andres. Yeah, as Andres just mentioned. Um... River are also playing this evening. We mentioned Independiente versus Lanús in the Sudamericana in a short while, uh, but in a couple of hours, so before this goes online, obviously, but after we record, uh, River will be taking on Nacional in the Libertadores. Santi, you've got your hand up. Yeah, I think um, another game that warrants a mention in this uh, last uh, match week of uh, the Copa de la Liga Profesional um, is, uh, I think, Gimnasia Huracán, which, um, well, you mentioned Every single game in that group ended nil-nil. But there's a fair reason for that because um, both uh, the Gimnasia, Huracan and Huracan managers uh, actually learned that uh, Vélez uh, had just ended their game in a nil-nil draw. So um, there's some very clear footage, video footage, where they decide to just run the minutes. Uh, I think there was like five or six minutes left in the game and they just decided to do absolutely nothing and to replicate the famous Simpsons scene of the Mexico versus Portugal game where they're just uh, passing the ball around until the, the minutes run by. Yeah, there was some kind of delay to the start of the second half in that match, wasn't there? And uh, as a result, they both... It, it, it was, I, I turned out, I was watching just the sort of tail end of Patronato Vélez because it was what I had on the TV and I turned over to the end of Gimnasia Huracán after it finished and for a, a couple of minutes I was like hang on what's why are they and then I looked at my phone and looked at the standings and was like oh right okay yes that's inevitable um, there is of course the Boca uh, game to talk about out of the um, Grandes I mean San Lorenzo as well from the Grandes but um, there was a nil-nil against Aldo Civi there's not a hell of a lot to say and they already had the group one uh, I think they had the group one before that game kicked off because Argentinos finished two points behind them having won their final game. So yeah, they did. Um, but San Lorenzo can be, can be fairly happy, but I, I think we'll talk about Boca after the um, halftime break because their week has been more dominated, of course, by the Libertadores, given that the weekend fell between the two legs um, of their round of 16 match against Internacional, one with the first leg having been delayed due to Diego Maradona's death. Um, and we will take that halftime break uh, now. So come back in just a few seconds time after this theme music for, for you listeners. Um, and we will have some discussion of the Continental Cups and of, for what it's worth of, of Boca's fairly dull nil-nil draw with Tacheris and how that group went. Don't go away. We've had a half-time break. The cats moved from the bed to the um, 
floor just in front of my computer because she really likes lying on the floor when it's hot and it is today so we're back underway um Boca juniors as i said i kind of thought it was better to talk about them in the second half because really their week has been dominated by um the two legs of their round of 16 Copa Libertadores match against Thai against the Internacional. They won the first 1-0 in Porto Alegre and they lost the second 1-0 in the Bombonera before going through on penalties just last night. Um, it, it was kind of a funny one because they, they really, I thought, should have won the first leg by, by more. And in spite of being really quite poor last night, they probably should have scored at least once in the second half to put the tie beyond doubt. But at the same time, Inter should have scored more than once in the first half last night as well. So it could have gone either way. And it, it's kind of mirrored in there. This is why I wanted to leave the, the Copa Diego Maradona for them to now as well, because it's mirrored in, in, in their approach to that. I've just been looking down and found that of the teams who've gone through to the second round in the domestic cup. Boca are the only group winners who lost two of their matches. They lost two matches more than Tacheres did, who finished second behind them. Um, and the only other, the only team who lost more than two matches and went through um, were Arsenal in group one, who were given a slight advantage in those terms because of the fact that Atletico Tucumán won all of their games and therefore there were fewer points to pick up for the other three teams in that group. Um, so, is it just me who's not entirely convinced by Boca really since the restart or in, in, in all competitions, not just in the cup? Because it kind of seems like, you know, Dan spoke about how Racing's poor showing in the cup has been counteracted by looking decent in the Libertadores and clearly not giving a toss about the, the Copa uh, de la Liga. But that doesn't seem to be a, an accusation that we can really level at Boca to quite the same degree. Yeah, I agree. Um, mostly because... Um... We have actually seen Boca really, really struggle at home against uh, Inter de Porto Alegre and basically almost uh, tossed their chances of uh, Copa Libertadores glory into the bin, <laughs> which they were basically spared because of, um, because of some poor, poor showing from Inter in the penalty shootout. And uh, yeah, Boca just seemed rather stifled, I think. They... They cannot um, compensate for the defensive woes with um, precision in their attacks, which they could do so before. And um, yeah, not, not just um, and to, to think that um, before this tournament, um, Miguel Angel Russo had never lost a game, and they have now lost two, and they well three if you count um, Inter's win. Uh, which was technically a one 0 win for them, even this, even if they lost on penalties afterwards. But but yeah, there have even been talks about um, Miguel Angel Russo stepping down, which I think are a little bit preposterous, given the fact that he only arrived uh, early this year. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's clear they don't look exactly um, strong, and there have already been rumblings of uh, of new signings. I think. Uh, which, well, on the one hand, you know, it's, it's typical Boca rumors, which are bonkers, for bringing some of the best players in South America, despite the fact that they never actually arrive. But, uh, yeah, if these rumblings are beginning to, to, to show in early December, it's because something is clearly not going well. 
Indeed. Uh, Dan, as a Racing fan, you're now going to be facing Boca uh, in the quarterfinal of the Libertadores. The quarterfinals of the Libertadores, by the way, did get underway this week. Libertad versus Palmeiras ended 1-1. Gremio versus Santos ended 1-1. And as we're now mentioning for about the fourth time this evening, River are hosting Nacional a little later this evening. Um, But Dan, Racing versus Boca is the first leg and then the second leg is in the Bombonera. That first leg is going to be next week. How, how do you feel about it? Because, I mean, we were talking about it with Seba on the, on the pod WhatsApp group last night and he was asking for the neutral opinion. And I think we're all, as neutrals, quite looking forward to it. Um, are you nervous at all? No, I must admit I was pleased to see uh, Boca go through under, you know, very, very quietly and um, with a little bit of trepidation as, as everything uh, panned out last night. For, uh, for a few reasons. One, because I think no matter who the team is, it's always nice to see more more Argentine teams get into the quarterfinals, the semifinals. Um, I think it's always, you know, good for Argentine football as a whole. So, you know, in very, very limited circumstances, would I, would I um, root against an Argentine team, possibly with the exception of Indipendiente in a final? I don't know. Uh, secondly, because... It sets up a very, very interesting Christmas for me, uh, given that the second leg of that game is going to be on December the 23rd. Um, I arrive in Tucumán on December the 23rd to spend Christmas with my wildly Boca-supporting in-laws, which means that I can uh, look forward to an an early Christmas massacre, uh, especially if Racing win, which would be very, very sweet. Uh, and thirdly, because out of the two teams, I mean, uh, both teams, uh, Boca and Inter, are very strong. You can see uh, they might not have shown over the entire 180 minutes that um, they're full quality, but I think in bursts, especially Boca in the first game, Inter in the second te- in the second game, because they did that infuriating Brazilian team, Brazilian in uh, Brazilian teams in thing where they just don't bother playing until they're a goal down or or they need to get a result. Um, but overall, yeah, I'd say uh, Boca is probably an opponent Racing would be happier with than, than Inter because obviously they've played each other many a time over the last few years. I think Racing will be more comfortable with, with Boca's style. Um, and because over the last few years, Racing have gone to the Bombonera and, and got some very good results. Um, it's been probably the big five stadium where Racing um, have done best over the last, definitely over the last uh, four or five years and probably over the last 10 years as well. So I think it's going to be a very open clash. Um, obviously, you put Boca as slight favourites um, because they've got such a deep squad. They've got so many players to call on, whereas Racing have a, have a smaller squad and they've had a lot of bad luck with injuries. Um, I'd say that, more than anything, is probably the reason why Boca could take the, the copper a little bit more seriously because they have the personnel to do so. They pretty much have two um, teams of 11 players who, who can compete on a high level in, in the local game. But, yeah, Racing in a... They're going to go into those two games without any fear. They, you know, 
met expectations. So from this point on, they got nothing to lose. They'll they'll have a go at Boca definitely. And I think what we've seen is that Boca can be beaten. Will they be beaten? I don't know, but they can be beaten. Thanks, Tom. Uh, Andres. Yes, I just wanted to add that uh, apart from what Dan said, that another Argentine team uh, getting through, going through to the uh, quarterfinals, uh, they, 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 that Boca suffered qualification meant that uh, out of the three uh, um, duels between Argentine, Argentine and Brazilian teams, all of the Argentine sides went through. Uh, first it was Racing, then River, and then and, and Boca. So for the Argentinian uh, way of uh, point of view, it is really, really good. Yeah, and that pattern, I think, if I remember rightly, held true in the Sudamericana um, as well, because Defensa y Justicia put Bahia out last week. Um, so we were talking you know, back on our restart preview-ish uh, episode before the football got back underway about how it seemed like Argentine clubs were going to be at a considerable disadvantage um, match fitness-wise uh, in continental competitions because it was one of the only countries, the only major footballing country on the continent which uh, didn't have league action before the Libertadores and Sudamericana restart. Well, before the Libertadores restarted, um, and it's not really proved to be that way so far. Albeit Union went out to Bahia, of course, but apart from that. Um, by and large, Argentine sides have, have done well against non-Argentine sides so far. Um, in the Sudamericana, as as we said, as I said just now, uh, Defensa y Justicia, sorry, haven't put Bahia out. They got a 3-2 win in the first leg against Bahia with Boca's second leg. I haven't moved to this week. It's confusing me. Um, they won 3-2 in the, in the first leg against Bahia away from home um, on Tuesday... Was it? Or was it last night? I think it was Tuesday. It was on the 9th, which is... No, it was yesterday. It was on Wednesday. Uh, there you go, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was you know a fairly uh, routine away performance, at least. Um, getting the two away goals and with some very, very efficient finishing indeed. Um, because Bayer did have more shots, but Defensa did more with what they, what they had. Um, and Lanús versus Independiente is now underway, by the way. It's 11 minutes in and it is goalless so far. I'll try and remember to give you a score update at the end of the episode. Um, but for now, let's move on to listeners' questions, unless anybody has got anything else to add, gents. Yes, I was. Uh, I just wanted to say, perhaps the only bad news was from Beres, who, after defeating 5-0, the Partido Cali in Colombia, now they lost to H1 home against the Universidad Católica of Chile. Thanks, Andres. Um, okay, listeners' questions. Um, we've only had one so far, which is interesting. We'll see whether we get any more while we're answering this one. It's from Tom Robinson, and he says, Will Estudiantes ever score again um it feels like they might very well not to be honest it's been a long 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 time hasn't it 
when was the last time they scored? Yeah, actually, they they haven't scored a single goal all season, I think, so far. No, they haven't scored any in in the Copa de la Liga slash Copa Diego Maradona. Um, And I'm trying to remember when they scored last in the in the last Primera Divisa, the last Superliga. Last match they maybe. I have it here. It was against Racing. Funnily enough, it was. <laughs> um, they lost two-one um, at home, um, and Nahuel Estevez, whoever the hell that is, scored a consolation in the 88th minute with Estudiantes already um, already two goals behind. So they did score one of the last goals of the Superliga, possibly the last goal of Superliga for what that for that counts. Well done, them. I, I can't remember whether they scored on the opening day of the uh, the Copa that didn't end up going past the opening day. Oh, I forgot about Copa the Copa de la Superliga. Let me just remember that. Let's let's just have a quick look at that. They their result in that was ah that was one of the matches that didn't get played. River refused to play against Atlético Tucumán, but then Defensa Justicia versus Estudiantes was um, scheduled to be on the Monday night and, and ended up getting called off. So that was indeed the last goal this That was on the 9th of March. So if they don't manage it fairly soon in the fase complementación, um, then they might well go from early March through to the end of the year without scoring a goal. That would be quite something. It's already been nine months, which is quite a long time. Indeed, yeah. Although for six months of that, nobody was allowed to play yeah. any football in their defence. Something. Yeah, I remember. I remember uh, reading um, a very high-profile, I think, a Estudiantes fan, a journalist, an Argentine journalist, Alfredo Montes de Oca, who said something of the likes of uh, when, back when Mascherano retired, that he he said something like he uh, was sure that Mascherano retired in the middle of the of the group stage of the Copa Copa de la Liga Profesional because he clearly knew that this team was going absolutely nowhere. And uh, given the fact that they haven't scored a single goal ever since he retired and ever since this even this cup even started, I think uh, Macerano was probably vindicated by his decision to to end his career early, I think. Yeah, when, when Macerano announced that, I was remote, it was the week after Fernando Gago announced his retirement. And, and you know, Gago had uh, explained that he kind of thought that he might have one or two more seasons or, or at least one one more little transitional tournament in him and then realised a couple of games in and that wasn't the case. And I sort of thought, I wonder whether that's that's why Mascherano has, uh, you know, whether whether he's followed a similar pattern of thought. But um, in hindsight, you start to wonder, don't you? Certainly the Estudiantes well, attack has not improved for his absence. So those incisive What well, we could say in, um, to encourage Estudiantes is that they're playing this weekend against the team which conceded most goals in in the first round of the Copa Diego Armando Maradona news. So that could, you know, there could be a, a chance there. Can the flimsiest of objects resist the very, very stoppable force? That question will be answered um, exactly. on Saturday, Saturday afternoon at ten past five. Um, on which note, we may as well go into Mystic Sound because we haven't had any other questions. Um, and the benefit of this for listeners, of course, is that they get a slightly more uh, succinct episode than they would have done normally. So I'm just going to pause for a second now. 
And we will go into Mystic Sam. Here are my predictions for this weekend. There is only one game on Friday evening. Uh, it is in the... Um, I'm just going to split these into English and so that everybody listening can fully understand straight away. Um, and we'll call this the losers round. Um, Belles versus Racing kicks us off. I think that Belles are going to win that one. Um, and then on Saturday in the losers round, uh, Newells versus Estudiantes, as Dan says, I think that's going to be a Newells win. Um, and, you know, since I just asked the question myself before we put the Mystic Sound music on, um, yes, I think that Newells will manage a clean sheet and that Estudiantes will not score. We'll see whether that goes right. If, Estudiantes, if you, if you do manage a goal, then you're welcome. Um, also on Saturday, in the championship round, Colón versus Gimnasia, I think will be a Colón win. Boca versus Arsenal is going to be a draw, I think, given that Boca are going to have one eye on the Libertadores. And San Lorenzo versus uh, uh, Tacheres in the evening. I'm going for a San Lorenzo win in that one. On Sunday, Union, uh, in, in the losers round, Union versus Defensa y Justicia, I think is going to be a draw. Aldo Sibi versus Lanús will also be a draw. Um, and then a little bit later on Sunday in the championship round, River uh, should beat Argentinos at at home in Independiente Stadium. And Huracán are at home to Independiente. And I think that one, oh, that could be quite entertaining. I'll go for a, a score draw in that one. Um, finally, on Monday in the losers' round, it's Rosario Central versus Patronato. I think Central will win that, and Central Cordoba versus Godoy Cruz, which will be a Central Cordoba win because Godoy Cruz are terrible away from home. Um, and in the championship round, to round things off, nine thirty on a Monday night, everybody will be watching Atletico Tucumán versus Banfield, and Banfield are going to win. Um, any matches that you're particularly looking forward to, apart from your own team's matches this weekend, gents? Not even my own team's match. I might watch <laughs> it out of obligation, but who cares? I'm going to stick to my guns, my apathetic guns. Good, man. I'm, I'm, I'm there with Daniel. I'm there with Dan. It's try the idea. That's the so, kind of attitude that gets to the top of the complimentation. Right, yep. <laughs> That, that yeah, carrot of the Sudamericana space isn't going to be enough to make you watch them. I mean, Racing already in the Libertadores next year, right? So of course they are, aren't they? Yes, they really don't have anything to play for. Yeah, I think the 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 the, the birds for the Libertadores and Sudamericana in this uh, tournament are for 2022. In fact, really. Yeah, because the the the, the birds for the Sudamericana Libertadores have already been decided. In the previous Superliga season, I think. Yeah, but there was one that was no. going to go through from the Copa de la Superliga, which didn't get played. And I think that that's what this is, is for. No, the winner goes to the Libertadores 2021 and the second winner slash loser goes to the Sudamericana 2022. And all the rest <laughs> goes to another tournament. Oh. Wow. <laughs> so it's even more confusing than one thinks it is every time you learn more about it. Yeah. This, this, I have to say, this is the first competition that, that we've had. I, I, some of it is obviously going to be a, a result of the fact for, for me personally that I'm 
paying less attention to all of the off-pitch stuff and the administrative stuff than I have been for most of this podcast's history because it's no longer my my main first full-time job. But this is the first time that, that we've been talking about a competition um, on Hand of Pod and where I have really have been, you know, learning about all this stuff as the listeners are learning about it. Uh, in, in the past, it might have sounded a bit like that was happening, but this is the first time it's actually been happening. Um, you see what happens without your oversight, Sam? Indeed. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, if you want to find out what we're going to discover next week about the Copa Diego Armando Maradona, then um, tune in to another episode of Hand of Pod. For now, thank you very much indeed for listening. If you're a Patreon supporter, of course, you'll be able to get more of this exclusive content of us just making stuff up as we go along. Um, over on patreon.com slash handofpod, you also get to feel the warm, fuzzy glow of knowing that you're supporting your favourite footballing Argentine football podcast. Um, and if you're in a very hot place like we are, then think of it as a nice cooling glow instead of a warm and fuzzy one. Um, but for now, thank you very much and goodbye from Andres. Thank you. Goodbye. From English Dan. Bye. From Tony. See you next week. From Santi. Bye, guys. And from me. Thank you and goodbye. Two full-time scores to tell you about. In the Copa Sudamericana, Lanús versus Independiente ended nil-nil. And in the Libertadores, and indeed in the uh, Estadio Libertadores, River beat Nacional 2-0. Um, goals from Gonzalo Montiel with a penalty in the second half. And then right deep into stoppage time, a goal which, to me and to lots of other people on the continent by the look of it, um, looked slightly offside um, to make it 2-0 to River. <laughs>